0: Today's teaching text comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? "'Has not God come, made foolish the wisdom of the world? "'For since the wisdom of God, "'the world through its wisdom did not know him. "'God was pleased through the foolishness "'of what was preached to save those who believe. "'Jews demand signs signs and Greeks look for wisdom. "'But we preach Christ crucified "'and stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. "'But those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, "'Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God.' For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, and the despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is writ- as it is written, let the one who boast boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Be to God. Will
1: you... Um let 's let 's pray together one more time, God in heaven uh, this, we have to confess this morning, Lord, that so often we get things so backwards, and we, we think we 're supposed to pursue certain things and, and and put on our best clothes and act a certain way and and, and have the best show and and get all of the accolades and the, build a reputation god and, and, and this external life is so important, and yet we hear teaching like this, we hear words like this from from 1 Corinthians, from your book, and, and it just, it goes, it flies in the face of conventional wisdom and everything else that the rest of the world has taught us. And so, God, it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the, the central truth of this teaching. And, and God, I just I can't help but but think and wonder that for so many of us, we wrestle, we're caught in this tension, this this paradox of what we're what we're brought up in and told is most important, and then what your scripture says is most important. And so, Lord, this morning, we would be probably pretty wise to just confess to you that we are weak and undone, and we do not have all the answers. And so we turn to you, God, in these moments, and we acknowledge that you are the one true creator, that you have rescued and redeemed us through your son, Jesus, and that we desperately need to be weak so that you can be strong. God, help us in our unbelief this morning. Teach us through the power of your word, In your name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, um, I don't know if you wonder about this sometimes, but uh, sometimes I I, I get to thinking about why it is that Jesus actually came to rescue us. Like, why it is that, that we needed rescuing in the first place. What is actually happening when... Jesus comes and people say things like are you saved or born again or do you follow Jesus or in the way and all of the other ways that we have talking about this relationship with this person and what this person has offered we've been rescued yes and I think at least at, at some level every one of us would confess whether we actually are pursuing the Christian way or not that there's some messed up stuff in the human soul and it gets worked out in some pretty ugly ways And for the most part, humanity needs some type of rescuing. But why? Is it just so that we can feel good about ourselves? Is it only so that when you lay down at night, you can rest and be at peace because you know that even though you've done some terrible things, somehow it's been taken care of. Have you been rescued? Have I been rescued? Did Jesus come and offer salvation through his life, death, burial, and resurrection just so that we can be better self-actualized and, and, and somehow like keep climbing some a hierarchy of needs understanding of human psychology? And maybe if we were to set aside a little bit of the skepticism and the edge, we would at least acknowledge that we have been rescued because we needed it. Because sin has left a mark and separated me from God. And I need somebody to make that right. And so I need to be rescued personally. We all do. That's part of the reason why I really appreciated what Liz, what the Spirit of God was saying through Liz this morning. And just that we come as we are because we're all the same. We all have baggage and Jesus accepts us. He doesn't force us to get our act together and cleaned up first and have everything organized and neat. Thank goodness. He just accepts us as we are, but he's rescued us not just for personal satisfaction or personal redemption. He's rescued us also so that we could be his church living on mission. Hear this, friends. Part of what's happening when you come into a space like this, part of what's going on in a church across the world, wherever you are, is not only are we reminded of the story that we're a part of, that you need to be reminded that God loves you. And that he's cleansed you from all unrighteousness and he has made you pure. You need that message. I need that message. I need to be reminded that. Anybody with me? We need to be reminded of the personal reality of a loving God coming after his people, his kids. But we also come into a place like this, part of what's happening as we stand next to each other and greet one another and we sing songs and we share in liturgy and even the act of covenant community, As, as simple as this may seem, is to remind ourselves that we are actually a part of a great mission. That we are a part of a great redemption story and God is using us to share that story that hopefully it's good news to anybody that will listen. Listen, it was the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what? The power. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You see, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the Corinthians because there was a bunch of dysfunction happening in that church. He would never ever have to write a letter like that to Trinity Grace, but he did to this group of people. And one of the things that he didn't do, one of the things that he refused to do was play games the way everybody else was playing games. And so if you were a dignitary or a notable person or if you were somebody who was trying to gain attention or create a platform for yourself, they didn't have Twitter and so forth. And so what they would do is write these letters of recommendation and send them ahead with a messenger and say, listen, so-and-so is coming. Trust them. Listen to them. I vouch for them. They've got a good reputation. And the Apostle Paul says, are we back to that? Do we have to go back to this like simple thing where we're like sending letters ahead? Like, what can't we just stand on our own reputation? Doesn't the work of God in your life and my life stand for itself? We don't need to send letters. We're not falling back to these other things. There's power in other places in the gospel. The gospel is more powerful than that is what he's saying. And so the nature of Paul's message that he's writing about is he wants the, the church to be clear. He wants the church to understand what God has done through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. And he wants them to understand there's power in this story, but that the story isn't just for personal gain, it's also to propel us forward on mission. And so here in chapter one, verses eighteen through thirty one, we see that the nature of the gospel is a force that causes or forces a decision, that the gospel is determined, that the gospel is also a divine person. The first thing that we see is that Paul shares with us in verses 18 through 25. He says the gospel essentially forces a decision that you can't remain neutral when we're approaching and talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we're talking about the good news, when we're talking about the power of God, that's able to save it either brings people in or it repels people. There's no middle ground. There's no good sermon at Trinity Grace without a Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis quote, and C.S. Lewis was constantly saying things like the gospel either causes you to be to think of jesus as either a lunatic a liar or the lord there's no middle ground and that's what's happening here in this text. It's, there's a bunch of people, they're undone. They're not exactly the the best people or the most um, respected people in the world. And yet somehow uh, God is moving in this space. People are coming to understand the scriptures and wrestling with who God is. And people have to make a decision. There's this ancient image that's been scribed on a wall in rome it's actually been taken out of the wall now and preserved but it's this picture it's hard to see but you can make out the head of a donkey on a winged man and this other creature person bowing down and worshiping up to him and inscribed on the wall it reads these words Alexaminos worships his god what you see in this sketch and this etching on the side of this building is essentially a mockery of the christian faith in rome at the time It was essentially a group of people saying, this seems foolish and ridiculous. How could anybody possibly worship this? How could anybody make sense of this? You see, the Jews demanded miraculous signs. The Greeks wanted wisdom and eloquence. The Jews saw a crucified Messiah and thought it was ludicrous. The Greeks heard the gospel message and thought it was weak and unimpressive. And so there are these two dominant groups of people in culture who are experiencing the message of the gospel and they can't make sense of it. It's foolishness to them. But Paul also says, there's a group of people that heard the words and it sounded glorious to them. There was a group of people who heard the message of the gospel and it sounded impressive. It drew them in. In verses 24 and 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says this, But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So there's this reality where even though the Jews were demanding signs and the Greeks were demanding more intellectual meat on the bone for their their brains to be stimulated by, at some point a group of people were saying, wait a minute, there's actually wisdom in this foolishness. There's actually power in this weakness. We're getting it. And so they start to come alongside. They start to sign up. They start to say, yes, we want to be a part of this. They begin to see God's power and learn from God's wisdom. One theologian wrote this. He says, the sign-seeking Jews were blind to the significance of the greatest sign of all when it was right before them. And the wisdom-loving Greeks could not discern the most profound wisdom of all when they were confronted with it. You see, I think the gospel, friends, will always be an aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. And so the question this morning is, which is it to you? Because if we're really dealing with the real Jesus, there's no way that you can either uh, just like live in the middle, so-called. So, so it either draws you in and you say, I, I want more of this, or it, it pushes you away. There's no neutral ground. The gospel forces a decision. And so, how do you personally find yourself relating to the story and the message of Jesus Christ this morning? Is it good news to you? Does it draw you in? Does it cause you to want to bow down and worship even though it might not make any sense? Or is it the kind of thing that actually sort of repels you? You're disgusted by it. Or you're even maybe angry by it. And then if we think about the church being this missional force in the world, the other thing I think we have to consider just for a second is, is why do we get so worked up when the gospel is doing its work? When you and I are actually sharing the good news of faith, when somebody finds out that you're a follower of Jesus, when we're having a conversation with somebody who doesn't yet know Jesus, and they're repelled by that message, when there's anxiousness or frustration or anger or even oppression, why does that surprise us? Why does that rejection hurt so much? Because if it's true that the gospel forces a decision, shouldn't we go into every one of those conversations expecting that that person is either going to be pushed away or drawn in? Do you see what I'm saying here, friends? So part of it for me is it's like inviting me into a space where I'm actually okay with how anybody responds to the gospel. Of course, I want people to come close to Jesus and to have their sins forgiven and to, all, like, to experience that freedom and hope. But I also have to know and understand that the gospel forces a decision. It's polarizing. And so why be surprised if people are repelled by it? Secondly, the gospel is determined. The gospel is determined. It's focused or purposeful. We see here in verses 26 through 29 that, uh, again, this theme where many of the Corinthians were unimpressed by what was happening. They were unimpressed with the message. They they weren't being drawn in necessarily. There were some that were influential, but many of them did not have positions of influence or reputations that were strong. And yet the gospel was still piercing hearts and moving through all layers of society and culture. And So Paul was saying, not many of you were influential or came from backgrounds or lives or stories that many people would be... um, That Many people even want or sign up for in their own in their own right. But yet the gospel is moving. People are coming to see who God is. And so God chooses the foolish and despised things of the world to make sense of things, to draw people in. And this is interesting because we see the gospel is is not really respecting of any persons, no matter what culture they were in you see the, the jews they demanded signs the greeks they wanted the intellect it's almost like theology and power it's almost like that constant uh, struggle that we see in churches or in our own stories where we're like no i really want to understand no i really want to experience the power of god and what does the gospel do it draws both together paul is telling us that the gospel of jesus christ is determined it's focused it's purposeful and it will accomplish its purpose in 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 who he wants it to and this is in direct um, opposition, too, in, in many ways, as to like, the world that we live in, friends. It's because we feel like, again, we have to get our acts together. We have to get everything cleaned up and, and right and perfect before we approach God. Like uh, I, I grew up in a tradition that I wasn't even allowed to take communion if there was unconfessed sin in my life. Because I, I couldn't possibly approach this holy moment without getting my life completely clean. Now I want you to think about the the, the hypocrisy, like the, the, the paradox in that thinking. What is the what is communion actually celebrating? Not a trick question. <laughs> what? Communion, bread in the cup. Communion is celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus. His broken body, a perfect sacrifice, his poured out blood. That's the new covenant. He's making a step. Jesus is stepping toward us in our brokenness to make things right. And so now why, 2,000 years later, am I turning things around where I have to get right before I can approach his broken body and pour out blood? Now, I'm not saying that it's not important for us to be introspective and have the right heart and motive as we approach the Lord's table. That's in the scriptures. But we get things backwards so often. The gospel is determined to pierce through that. The gospel is determined, friends, to tell you as a New, York, as a New Yorker that you, your life and value is not determined on your bank account or your address or your reputation at work. Like it might not be a struggle for you where you're like w- w- stuck as the, as, as the Jews were in this text in, in wanting signs and the Greeks were in the intellect. Maybe our hang-up is the, is, the, is the value of meritocracy that we're given in this city where we are only as good as what other people say we are. And so maybe the gospel is determined this morning because it pierces through that. It's purposeful to unroot those little things, those idols in our lives to tell us, listen, John, Robert, Louis, Sonia, Kim, your value is more. It's more than what you make. It's more than what you know. It's more than any other outside metric in your life. So the gospel is determined and will pierce through those things. It will speak to us. Gordon Fee, one theologian, says, The ground is level at the foot of the cross. I love that. I love that the, the determination, the focus, the purposefulness of the gospel is that we all are the same as we approach Jesus Christ. We all desperately need a Savior, and He freely offers salvation. And all we have to do is come to Him. So this is a stark reminder, friends, that in these verses, a reminder that no one deserves salvation, but that God gives it freely. And so I just wonder, do you find yourself, like, working really hard to try to, like, earn God's favor in your life? Or do you find yourself freely receiving what he has given? Do you value yourself or judge yourself based on how well you're doing, based on some external system of measurements? Or do you see yourself the way God does? The gospel is determined in that way, purposeful in that way. And then finally, the gospel is a divine person. The gospel is not just some set of theological constructs. It's not just some ideas or doctrine. But we see that the gospel is not even a philosophy or a teaching, but it's a person, friends. So Paul in verse 30 and 31, uh, to to some degree is, is highly debated. Actually, let's just pause for a second and read it. It won't be on your screen, but I'll just read it for you. Verse 30 and 31, Paul says, It is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Anything that is holy or good or redeeming about us is, is true because Jesus has done this on our behalf. His life has become our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Verse 31 says, Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast... In the Lord. All of this has happened. Because of the person of Jesus Christ. I mean I guess at a certain level. God could have just said. Okay boom this is it. It's just done. He could have just spoken it. And would have fixed it. But he didn't do that. He sent his son. A human being. To live a perfect life. To die a death that was not his. In our place. And to conquer death itself. So that you and I. Could boast. Not in our own. Works. Not in our own advances not in our own reputation but that we could boast in the lord and paul says that we all need salvation but that that need is met in the person of jesus christ alone i think this is one of the things that makes christianity like really different and sets it apart from any other religion in the world because at the end of the day it's not us trying to do better at the end of the day it's not just trying to practice certain philosophies or ways of thinking better and perfecting that but that we get to rest in the work of another person. No other religion in the world does this. One student asked one time, his religion professor, he says, there are literally thousands of religions in the world. How do we know which is true? Maybe that's a question you've even asked. The religion professor says, there are actually not thousands of religions. There are not even hundreds of religions. There are only two One which tells you that salvation comes as a a reward for what you have done. And one which tells you that salvation comes by what somebody else has done for you. That's Christianity. All the rest fit underneath the first category. And so if things were that simple, we could could allow ourselves, give ourselves the freedom to understand that in Christianity, it's the only religion in the world that offers everything without us having to do a thing all through the person of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do to be right with God is found in Jesus. And the scriptures just tell us that all we have to do is cling to him, is say yes to life with him. And so one of the ways that I think about applying this scripture in my own life is not only thinking about my faith journey, but also um, where, do I think, where do I think my value comes from? Where do you look for salvation is a question I would ask. Is, is, is your salvation found in your good works and your reputation in your bank account? Is it found possibly even in your the leftover faith of your parents in success? It's certainly not found in a political party or in self-discovery or any of those types of things. Salvation for you is found in one place, in one person, actually, in Jesus Christ. And so this text is... Um, profound and there's so much in here this morning that we could spend time thinking about and wrestling with and applying to our lives but essentially as we think about the spirit gives life series that as people who are following jesus in the new covenant that we in christ are not broken messed up people who sometimes get it right but that we're actually redeemed and saved, and sometimes we still struggle with sin thank god that's true right thank god that's the case and so we recognize that the sp- in the spirit, the life that the spirit of God gives us are new promises. We have new hearts. We've been on this journey where we're, co- we're understanding the new covenant that God has given us. That we have new ministry and that this morning God is sending us on a new mission. That we are saved and rescued and redeemed in righteousness and his holiness. Not just for my own sake, not just for my own good. But so that I could be part of a community of people that are sharing that good news. With a world that so desperately needs it. What would it look like friends. If the church were known. Not for what it stood against. But for what we're for. How different would this neighborhood be. Your, your office. Would your, your your group. Your house. Your roommates. How, your family. How different would the world be. If the world knew what we stood for. Instead of the things that we're always known to be rallying against. And so one of the ways that we could do that is to share this good news that forces people to come to a decision. That recognizes that it's determined and purposeful and will always work out its purpose in our lives. And that ultimately the gospel, this new covenant message is one that confronts us and introduces us to and unites us to a person. So I just want to invite you to bow your heads for just a couple of minutes ask the question just god what are you doing right now what are you saying to me i've heard this guy up front talk for a few minutes there's um a bunch that's on my heart and my mind but god what do you want to say to me right now in this moment for some of us it might be that we've never made a decision to turn our lives to turn toward jesus christ to embrace and trust the person of jesus as our savior and it might be just really that simple for you this morning, just to be in, in, in your seat, literally right where you are. And it's like, God, I, I don't even fully understand all of this, but I, I want to know peace in my life. I want to know forgiveness for the things that I've done wrong. I, I want to be cleansed of my sin. So you would just say, maybe even just those really simple words this morning. It's possible that for a long time you've been repelled by the gospel. You've been repelled by Christianity and Jesus. But this morning, for some reason, you're being drawn in. Friends, if that's happening to you, I want to invite you as kindly as I can not to resist that. That if that's happening in your life this morning, that's the work of God in your life. Pay attention to it. It could be, friends, that for some of us, we're being drawn in as as, as, as moving from passive Spectators to active participants in the mission of God. That there's people in your life that God has specifically put in your story, encountering you, and you are the best person to share good news with them. And yet you're afraid of rejection or or or, or you don't have the courage yet, or you're not quite sure what to say, or whatever the case may be, but God is waiting for you to join him on mission. And being somebody that proclaims good news. So maybe for you this morning, the, the stirring, the thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to you is to take seriously the opportunity to live your life on mission. Not just for personal gain, but for a greater cause. And I think it's still true this morning, friends, that for some of us, we're still stuck in this trap of thinking that we are only as good as our last win or success. Some of us even treat God that way, that we would only approach God or ask God for something. We'd only say a prayer and ask for something if we actually think we deserve it or would give it to ourselves. And friends, that is so broken. That is such a broken way to respond to and to treat and to relate to God. The scriptures say that if your heavenly father or excuse me if your earthly father would give you wouldn't give you a, a stone a rock if you asked for a piece of bread how much better is god in heaven and so this morning friends the 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 theme is that you don't have to get your act together first before god is willing to come and love you and accept you for who you are right where you are just come just stop trying to get better first maybe there's an invitation in there this morning for you that just says I want to release you from works religion and introduce you to the person of Jesus who loves you no matter what.